This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another episode of But Why, the podcast that's all about digging into big questions and tricky topics via honest conversation. This week we're going to be looking at conflict and my guest is a coach, a facilitator, a dispute dispute resolution professional with 15 years experience as an employment and commercial mediator. She's a visiting lecturer on mediation at the University of Westminster a business faculty member of the School of Life and a mother of two. Without further ado, let me introduce to you Tracy Scott. Tracy Scott's not even here, Tracy Fox. Let's try again. Without further ado, I need this coffee to get in my system soon. Without further ado, let me introduce to you Tracy Fox. What a uh, what a CV. I know, I know, it's just a nightmare, Clemmy. To be honest, I just yeah. when people say what do you do, I say, Oh, just things around conflict. Because it's just too long winded, you know. <laughs> It's I think it's amazing. It's too long-winded. You're... I wish I was like a nurse, you know, or a teacher. Oh. And then, you know, everybody knows exactly what it is that you do. But uh, although everything I do is related to conflict, it's all little kind of facets around it. So, but yeah. But I, I think there are so, so few people who have kind of a very singular job true, anymore. True, But true. Uh, yeah, that's my absolutely my worst ever question. What do you do for a job? I'm like, oh... I've got an Instagram account, but I don't, I don't ever know how to phrase that. And it's awful because if you don't own your own introduction, yeah. then yeah. how are you ever meant to, yeah, yeah. Meant to yeah. anyone else? Yeah. But thanks to you, I actually went on LinkedIn for the first time <laughs> yesterday for a while. It's a whole different world. I quite yeah. enjoyed it. But you just see some faces like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, people you just from different parts of your career that yeah. you, it's basically a whole different kind of social media stalking, but yeah. just professional. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, um, I most I mostly use um, LinkedIn, although I don't really use it as such. Um, it's the kind of you know the right thing to do, putting on your kind of best face in the mm. professional space. But even that, it's more about you know I'm doing this now and I'm doing that now. Mm. It's interesting, but it's it's great to look for look for jobs really, you know, and find you know networking connections and opportunities. So yeah, I mean, actually, I did think to myself, if you were smart with this. And poured some energy into it. Yeah. 
I'm sure it would really pay dividends, yeah. but it's the sort of thing I think and then forget that that's what I've <laughs> that's what I've decided I should do. But the people, there are people doing it really well, yes. definitely, aren't there? Yes, yeah, definitely. And, and, and I know people who've been headhunted into fantastic jobs just because of who they are on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. So, so yeah, it, it it does it can work very very well for people, although I don't use it anywhere near as much as I should. No, and for the record, this sounds like a real big plug for LinkedIn. It's just something that I, it's not, but then maybe I could talk to them about it. But yeah, it, it's uh, it's quite nice, I guess, as well. Yeah, this is just me using you as a therapy session, but because I, because I have a version of me that's on Instagram, I had I was in advertising for fifteen years before I did Instagram, so it's quite nice within LinkedIn. I'm still through that lens, which I. I quite likes yeah. for some reason yeah. <laughs> anyway enough of that I always start with three not very important but quite fun questions how are you really what star sign are you and what's your favorite biscuit oh um they're nice they're great questions how am I really um right now today I'm actually quite good um and that's because it was my birthday on Tuesday was it Tuesday Tuesday so I'm oh, I'm grateful, you know, grateful to be alive for another year. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm 47 now, and I yeah I forget I kind of stopped counting many years ago. Mm-hmm. I stopped counting, and I have to remind myself. And then when I think about how old I am, I think, wow, you know, I am you know getting on in years. But very grateful for mm-hmm. that. Grateful for my health and you know my opportunities to be able to you know put a roof over my head and stuff like that so yeah I'm mm. I really right now I'm I'm feeling very grateful so my star sign of course is Libra yeah I knew um, that yeah from, yeah just thinking great I already know the answer <laughs> if, if I hadn't asked you the question I would have been like yes I know what yeah. star sign she is yeah and uh biscuits it's funny I was talking to um one of the mums at um netball yesterday not me playing I took my daughter to netball and we were just talking about the way in which you know, as you get older, your body, your body changes. It doesn't respond in the same way that it does to things. And she was saying that the three things that are, you know, that that really are against her are the three Bs. It's um, bread, booze and biscuits. Mm-hmm. So you are talking about biscuits. <laughs> she even likes rich tea, which I thought, oh, my God, who actually likes rich tea? Biscuits? No. And I was not saying, yet. no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> my favourite biscuits are um, either chocolate hobnobs or really my number one are the kind of M&S extremely chocolatey rounds. So I don't yeah. eat them very often, but it's, it's yeah, that wonderful ratio of more chocolate to biscuit, I think. Yeah, I mean, me. really, you can't have those in the house on a regular basis. It's <laughs> no, an absolute no-go no, because no, they are no. so decadent but delicious. But it's so true about um, your body not responding in the same way. No, yeah, and and it's difficult. I mean, I have a more comfortable relationship with my body than I've ever had. But with that, I guess I I know very honestly in myself that yeah, I'm I will let myself eat whatever I want to eat, you know. But yeah, my body just really, particularly sugar, my body really, really doesn't like it, and it's so, and it's one of those things I find that I quite quickly introduce more and more and more into my diet, and then by the end of a week, just feel yeah. quite ropey. Yeah, yeah. Or I find that if I eat a lot of sugar now, I just want to fall asleep. So it's like yeah. that kind of sugar high. C- can't even yeah. handle it anymore, you know. So, 
you know, have to put no. away the box of chocolate, of, of um, wine gums and things. Yeah, no, not the packet of wine gums, but the box of wine gums <laughs> that I might like to indulge in and fall into a sugar coma. So, uh, so yeah, I have, I do have to stay clear of, of sugar as well nowadays. But maybe as you're talking, I'm thinking maybe this is how you end up at a rich tea because <laughs> as, you, as your tolerance goes down and you're like, well, this is to be able to oh, have a biscuit please, without. No, please, no, Fast I don't. Ten years, no, no, I, no, I don't. I can't say either. No, I can't stand them. Sorry, rich tea. Wow, that's extreme. I mean, yeah, they're just very average, aren't they? (laughs) Anyway, none of this is what I'm here to talk to you about. I'm here to talk to you about conflict, which I've really enjoyed kind of sitting and thinking about this and reading through some stuff that you sent me. When we say conflict, is there a, a very succinct or easy way to understand what conflict is? Yeah, so I, th- I mean, there have been lots of uh, there are lots of definitions of conflict which can be conflictual, but but for me and what I teach, I say that conflict is um, it can be an actual or perceived, uh, it can be a disagreement, a difference, or a dispute, but essentially something that leads to disharmony. So whether there is kind of tension or disharmony, for me that means that there is a conflict, and it doesn't have to be mm. full blown out war or litigation it can be the little niggle that you feel because what you want or what yeah what you want or expect is different to what the other person wants or expects Um, or likewise there can be inner conflict where that's more a kind of physical or psychological feeling but again again it goes back to disharmony there is an element of disharmony and tension then then there is potential conflict which can be um, attended to and addressed or not and is conflict inherently negative? Is what I'm wondering, uh, or, or not? Well, I, th- I think that um, the that the, the occurrence of it and the process when it's happening in the here and now, it will often it it can often feel um, negative. It throws you off course. It throws you off balance. You become alert to it. You might feel uncomfortable, um, and and that is when it's taking place. But the reality is. If you are able to to be brave enough or you have the competence and the confidence to step into that space and engage with it, it can often lead to really positive outcomes. Mm. So it's the kind of the, the, the trigger can be um, can feel negative. That's why you notice it. Right. Um, you notice it. But um, but but don't leave it hanging. If you leave it hanging. It, it can stay that way, if not escalate even further into something destructive. But as I said, if you can step into that space, engage with it, then it can lead to really brilliant outcomes. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. I was, as I was doing the research for this, I was trying to work out if I'm... Because you have some people who, it seems, seek out conflict or... or, or yeah. And then you have some people who are totally conflict averse, don't you? And, ne- and neither of those places are particularly easy to sit with but I I through the work that I do I'm a big advocate for honest conversations and, and the power of that and I feel that that sits within this space of conflict I think the dangerous part or the problematic part of conflict is when that it becomes super emotionally loaded or it feels unsafe whereas actually you can have disagreements with people it done in a in a grown-up way that that is yeah, really valuable. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, Clemmy? Because you speak about honest conversations, and you know, when I when I l- read about you, I see the things that you do, and say so you are you, you come across as very, very honest, and you know, quite real and 
and you know and, and raw but that but in my world and the worlds that I step into when I work in businesses mm-hmm. in the UK all over the world um people are not having honest conversations mm-hmm. people are living in fear often or mm-hmm. they are driven by uh, their past experiences where they have tried to speak out and they have been uh, punished or reprimanded or humiliated or whatever it might be. So pe- people just don't have the mm-hmm. honest conversations. Mm-hmm. Maybe fear for, for upsetting, f- f- fear for upsetting the other person and then being upset or just fear, you know, you know, thinking that it's, it's not going to go away. But if you don't, if you don't find a way and a mechanism to communicate what's happening for you, then that that is definitely when conflict um, kind of builds up and escalates. It doesn't go away. Um, mm. So so yes, I guess more of it, more people need to live like you, really finding that way to have the honest conversation because it really doesn't happen um, often enough. And I'm sitting here thinking it's quite interesting. So as I mentioned in reference to LinkedIn, but my I've come from a much more corporate background, although it's advertising, so it's obviously creative industries. To be honest, when it, it's actually quite a complicated world because it's got a facade of being quite relaxed and and creative, but there's big corporate structures at play. And I think part of what's led me to the work that I do now is is exactly that, not having honest conversations, particularly a, a, around pay and hierarchy and, you know, this is a bit of an aside, but I, I definitely grew up very conditioned to be the good girl and not rock the boat. And so it can be, it can feel unsafe, can't it, to say, hold up, I disagree. And so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I spend most of my, a lot of my time doing, um, teaching the skills for having difficult conversations, teaching skills of self-awareness and what do you do and what you want is different to what the other person wants and how can you communicate that in a way that feels authentic and, and right for you. And yes, you might get it wrong, you know, at, at first, but it's about knowing that you, we do have options regardless of how we were raised and our early experiences of how we should, you know, deal with 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 challenges I mean like I I was um my, my family are from Jamaica and they um came over in the 1970s part of the Windrush uh generation and um you know my, my parents are wonderful but you know they were I was raised under the premise of children should be seen and not heard right so I didn't I didn't have a voice really I was happy and had a happy childhood mm-hmm. but when it came to disagreement you know, no, it wasn't about disagreement. You you kind of follow line, you know, you follow suit. And I and I think that it was that that led me to being really in, interested in finding out, well, how do I have a voice? How do I express myself? Mm. And how can I help others to be in this space? Um, so, yeah, yeah. It's so interesting as you're talking, because I know I've watched it myself, even in some very small interactions this week, like a family conversation about where we'd go for a group dinner and the locations were not really very good for uh, for us because where we live. And I, I immediately go into that. And again, I don't know if it is conflict. It is because you've got different things having to, you know, some negotiation is going on. And I always start with, oh, sorry to be difficult or I could be wrong. But, and, you know, that is your, that's, that's such, a, and I don't know if it's female, but that would be my default way. And I don't know if that's, yeah, it doesn't really, you kind of, feel in myself that I'm selling myself short when I do that but it's not wanting to bulldoze anyone 
but also try and get your point across. But the family family dynamics lead a whole, you know, they're a whole different ballgame, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. Because it's, it's a little system and we all have parts and roles that we play, right? It's like the the, the book, um, is it um, Eric Byrne, the games that people play, transaction analysis, where we're in transactions when we're either a parent, an adult or a child. And there are people who can draw us into, you know, ideally we have adult to adult conversations. Um, you know, I'm an adult speaking to an adult, but you can be in a dynamic either with family members or with strangers or people and they draw you into behaving like a child either kind of a a, you know a stubborn child or a kind of spoiled child or they can draw you into being you know a a parent either a kind of a a condescending parent or a nurturing parent and Mm. and within the family unit itself we will fall into patterns of behavior that are acceptable or not so it's it's great to hear that actually you are um you're being quite assertive aren't you You're, you're saying um you know Sorry to be a pain, sorry to be a difficult, sorry to be a nuisance, but so at least you are being clear and you're having that mm. honest conversation because the easy thing for you to do is just to fall into the childhood patterns and just agree mm. regardless of the inconvenience. So, mm. you know, we, we all find our way, but the most important thing is to is to, to express what's important to us, um, I think, instead of going away and feeling frustrated or going to the dinner and on the way to the dinner, just complaining the whole time. Oh, why am I doing this? And I shouldn't be going here. Why didn't I say anything? And yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're so right. And and again, it makes me think back to like being in a workplace. So often, this is an important point that you made about perceived conflict and and the uh, the thought that comes to my mind is people were putting in meetings at a point after when I needed to go and leave to pick up kids and I you know increasingly I was feeling bad about that and getting resentful and angry and then then I realized that the person putting these meetings in was just someone quite junior and they you know bath time and bedtime was just not on their radar and so what I had escalated into this thing was actually just them not knowing and all I needed to do was have the courage to say to them actually do you mind if we just did this at this time yeah. and then oh yeah absolutely and yeah. and thus it was solved yeah. but it, there is so it feels like there's so many versions of that of these yeah. perceived things that blow up yeah yeah and we play a part in that don't we we kind mm-hmm. of enable things and if we don't tell somebody then you know how on earth can they know and sometimes we tell them and they don't care that's one thing <laughs> yeah. but at the very least by saying actually you know that doesn't really doesn't work for me can we swap it to this time instead can we do some do this or do that so yeah we have to again it goes back to having the courage often having the courage to speak out and and even the word courage this sounds really corny but I do like it the word courage or courageous conversations um the the latin I don't speak latin but I know that the (laughs) latin root of the word courage core means heart so in order to be courageous which is being brave and being bold you have to tap into your heart and do what your heart is telling Mm. you to do so it's it's a really big step to do that but it requires courage to speak out sometimes and Mm. to express yourself but if you do you're likely to feel that in your heart you know it's a really emotional thing that you're that that you are um that you're stepping into I love that I'm trying to think that yeah because it's bravery and courage because that's the difference between courage and just doing things kind of without engaging your mind I guess so that is yeah, yeah. it's it's, yeah. it's those mini leaps of faith isn't that's it that's right 
That's right. Yeah. Many, I like that. Many leaps of faith, which are different for everyone. So for somebody, it could be, um, well, for what's courageous for one person can be very different to another. Saying no for some people is very, very easy. You know, it just rolls off mm. the tongue and, and they're happy with the consequences. For others, even daring to, you know, to, to kind of express some kind of disagreement is a huge deal for them. So so it's all, it's often about helping people to be yeah, courageous in the moment to deal with the conflict. Yeah, and, and I think it's reassuring for people to know that the that, that internal dialogue goes on because it, when you do see people who feel like they're really good at speaking their mind, you don't know actually what prep taught they've given themselves to do that. And we can wrongly assume that this comes easy to everyone. And I, I would guess that that isn't the case. Yeah, that, that's a really good point, you know, Clemmy, because we, you know, we, we have sometimes when we say this at the school of life we have no idea what's going on inside our own heads what's say somebody else's and there is always an internal dialogue if not a number a few internal dialogues happening inside our heads which are different to what we're saying and you're right when we hear somebody speaking out or speaking boldly or whatever it is that they're doing we have no idea of what has how they've been able to connect the dots to be at that point how have they been able to speak in an articulate way or a confident way it could be because they were reared in a household where they were always encouraged to speak out they were mm. always encouraged to counter you know what do you think you know do you agree do you disagree you know tell me what you think therefore it, it's it's natural for them or it could be something that they have to practice intensively mm -hmm. they've been up all night stressing about it worrying about it all weekend and then it, it comes out so so yes we have to you know we have to be you know forgiving of ourselves but no it, it can take work and it takes yeah. practice yeah. Which I guess is why you have the role that you do, because it isn't necessarily inherent for everyone. So, are there, well, I know there is because I've read some of your work, but there are different conflict styles. Am I right? That's right. Yeah. I mean, there are there are lots of different um, models and frameworks for how we engage in conflict and what we might do in the moment where what we want is different to what somebody else wants. But one of the models that I really like um is by um it's 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 by two um american professors thomas and kilman back in there i think they were harvard professors back in the 1970s but the model's really brilliant because it essentially says that when you find yourself in a situation where what you want is different to what the other person wants there are there are two primary drivers that will affect how you behave the first is how important is the task to you or the kind of outcome? And if and if the, the kind of outcome or the goal or the task is important, then you're likely to be very assertive because you're really fixed on achieving that task or goal or getting something. And then the second element that Thomas and Kilman talk about is how important is the relationship with the other mm. person? And if, if you really value the, the relationship, then you will be very, um, you will be very um, kind of supportive and you'll be, um, you know, really thinking about what can I do to build on this relationship and you'll be very, um, you know, supportive towards that person. But actually, if they're not, if the relationship is not important, mm. then you won't necessarily be very cooperative towards that person. And um, and they kind of draw that up on a matrix and an X, Y um, axis. And you can fall into one of five different conflict styles. Your behavior can be categorized as one of five different conflict styles. And what they say is that of the five, there are is going to be at least one if not two perhaps 
that you're very comfortable in using. You use every day. You don't think about it. It's like picking up a pen and just writing your name. You know, you don't give it any thought. Um, but they like to remind you that there are other ways. There are th- at least three other ways, other options that may feel very uncomfortable for you. It's like take picking up a pen and writing with your non-preferred hand. If you would, if you're not left-handed, if you try and write your name with your left hand, it's very awkward and clunky and very deliberate but you can probably write your name with your left hand if you tried likewise if you want to use a different style in the moment you can but it takes practice Mm. so um so yeah I kind of teach teach that model talk about the different styles and help people to think about what do you do in the moment what is your what is the style that feels very comfortable and is that working for you because sometimes the style that you use, it's absolutely fine. You know, it gets you through your day-to-day interactions. But then there'll be other times where you think, right, well, I'm always um, I'm always um, accommodating other people. That's my style. That's one of the five. I'm an accommodator. I'm completely focused on the other person. The relationship is really important. My own needs are very, very low. You know, it's, it's about what do you want? How can I help you? And, you know, for some people in their careers or in the roles that they have, that's an essential way of survival, really. If you're new to an organisation, new to a business, maybe even if you're new in a relationship or um, particularly when people are younger as well, they Mm. may find the need to be more accommodating, valuing what the other person wants over themselves. But there are dangers to all of these styles because if you overuse it, if you're always focused on the other person, well, you don't get anything done for yourself. You kind of say, yes, yes, yes. You overpromise and underdeliver because you're always wanting to please. And it can lead to a lot of resentment and frustration. Mm-hmm. And probably people won't respect you very much because I know you're a bit of a pushover. So each of these styles, um, you know, have, have its real value and they're valid and legitimate and necessary. But there's a danger of overusing the, the styles. So it's quite complex to those kind of, I guess it's emotional literacy, isn't it, about when to dial in? Because when you're talking about being accommodating, me, my default is like a bit of a, oh no, that that's a um, risky game to play because it, it can spiral. But actually, then it's something I talk to my children about, where actually you do have to understand hierarchies you know I often say to him I'm really sorry your children you've got you don't get to make the call here and I think it's important in the workplace I think some of that has been lost actually you know I definitely had to learn my learn my skills learn my craft fall in line and I think there's a bit of an expectation of more flat hierarchies now but I, I really think that's actually not ideal because experience and wisdom do need to count for something yeah yeah and I I mean I mentioned one of the styles I spoke about the accommodating Mm. style which is high on the relationship low on assertiveness and Mm -hmm. task which is valid but when you spoke about the approach that you will have with your children sometimes saying you know sorry I'm the adult this is what I say this Mm. is what this is what's going to happen that's a very different style that's the top left because it's Thomas and Kilman label that as compete so you're completely focused on your own goal what you want your own task with no um 
with very little concern for the relationship and how it's going to affect the other person. You accept they're going to be unhappy. So be it. <laughs> and you're right. You know, that's classic, you know, a, a classic compete style. And if we think about behaviours, you know, I don't I don't like to be political, but I think we can all agree that someone like Donald Trump is high on the compete. It's mm-hmm. what he wants. Very little regard for how other people think. And of course, he has a lot of supporters that think like him. So each of these are, are valid. But if we're always if you're always like that with everyone in mm. every interaction, then, you know, people are going to get to dislike you pretty mm. quickly because, you know, it's my way or the highway. Um, so it's being strategic and deciding when does this situation need me to use a different mm. style that perhaps I'm not comfortable with. Um, but, yeah. you know, it will help me fulfill my needs. Because it's interesting on that um, X, Y axis you're talking about, you're saying that you, when you in, you've got a, a relationship with someone, then you're more likely to be more accommodating. But I'm actually wondering also then whether that sometimes swings almost back on itself. Because I was talking to my friends about sometimes how you treat your partner with things like this compared to how you would if they're a colleague. And you have to check yourself. Like, actually, maybe I am maybe it's being I don't you know what I'm saying sometimes you swing so much the other way that you you aren't as accommodating as you could be yeah Yeah. it's um it's it's interesting so 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 with the model five different styles which are kind of accommodate Mm. avoid compete compromise and collaborate that um what is that the aim is to be um uh um I was going to say ambidextrous, but it's not ambidextrous. Mm. It's that style flexibility. Yeah. You want to be able to dip into each of the styles dependent on what the situation needs. And one conversation, you can actually move around that grid. You could start off being accommodated. There might be something that you compete on. No, this is what we're doing. All right, then you compromise or you say, well, actually, you, um, I'm going to avoid that part of the conversation or and let's work on this together. So the idea is to move around the grid. But when it comes to people that we're close to, that's interesting in itself I, there was a I remember there was a, a an article I think it was in something like the New York Times or something not that I read that very regularly it just came up and it was saying how um, it spoke about listening which is a huge um, my, my number one go-to um, skill set for managing conflict but in this article it was saying that the research had proven that we listen less to people that we are close to Mm. Um, and that's because we believe we know what they're going to say therefore we don't need to bother listening to them we know what we know what it's going to lead to Mm. and so we are more likely to shut them down and just focus on our own agenda so so I think you're right Clemmy when you say that um, you know the style that we might use when we're you know being caring and you know empathetic and interested in someone can be very different with how we are yeah with those who are closest to us and that, I think you're right that listening is the absolute key thing I actually wrote about it in my book that we we're really losing I believe a lot of the a lot of our listening skills purely partly because of social media there's so much projection projection out and not so much um quiet consumption in I don't think but I know that you've got there's there's different kinds of listening, aren't there? Could you say a yeah. bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so, th- and this is one of my favourite things, actually. So, so there are a number of different listening models. One of the, the ones that I like, the one I like, comes from the book 
um, I'm doing all these. They're not plugs, but I don't. No, like I love to, it. Um, I'm impressed. I want to be. I don't like person. to kind of attribute. I don't like to pretend it's my own. I wish it was my own. But in uh, Stephen Covey's book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he speaks about the levels of listening, mm-hmm. and I think I've kind of simplified it by saying there are essentially five levels of listening. Um, level one listening is. Um, not really listening at all you're just waiting for your turn to speak so it means that you're in a conversation with somebody and they're talking to you but actually not really paying attention to what they're saying because you're thinking about what you want to say next or what's going on for you so it might be it might sound something like you know it's the end of the day you turn the computer off you go and you know sit in you know in front of the tv with a friend or a spouse or whatever and you say oh my gosh I had a really 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 stressful day today and they turn and say um can you pass me the remote control for instance (laughs) (laughs) which happens right it happens and we all do it level one listening we're not paying attention we're thinking what's happening or what's for dinner you know what's happening for me rather than what's happening for you level two listening is um is relating the information to yourself so um you're in the living room you say oh my gosh oh, I had a really stressful day today they turn around and say you had a stressful day well me? let me tell you about me oh my gosh I couldn't believe it from the moment I woke up it was constant zooms and teams it was just a nightmare and they spend the, re- the next you know 10 minutes talking about themselves and again it's you know we all do this you know I do this we're all guilty of it um and I think relating when we speak to people people genuinely want to they want to show an interest that's why they relate it to themselves but often it means they're taking the focus away from you onto themselves level three listening is giving advice and um, you know someone says oh, I had a really really stressful day and then you know your partner says oh well you know what you need to do is you know just just don't put up with it anymore or just quit and then it'll be fine now can you get me the remote control for instance and I don't know about you but I often find people don't want advice right <laughs> that's the last thing they want people don't ask for it they don't want it <laughs> but often we feel the need to, to give, give some. advice because it's, to give some because it shuts things down doesn't it most of us are paid problem solvers that's what we do how do we solve this problem so you solve the problem and you move on to the next mm. thing um, level four listening is you do listen but not for very long and then you know you quickly revert to one of the other levels you can maybe give them a bit bit of attention and then you know tell them what's going on for you relate it to yourself or or give advice Um, and level five listening is the space that we encourage you to practice um, because if you're in that space that will help you in conflict level five listening is active listening which is where your role is to help the speaker um, think as fully and broadly as possible about what's going on for them without um, relating it to yourself, without telling them what to do, without shutting them down, but really being in that space to to help them think really and Mm. expand their thoughts. Now, um, it it can sound really strange and artificial because often we do want to shut people down and we don't, (laughs) we're not really interested, right? Um, But this is what transforms uh, dialogue. Mm. This is what transforms relationships. Mm -hmm. In fact, I've got two, um, there are two colleagues that I work with at CEDA and they were both um, uh, um, uh, hostage negotiators. In fact, one of them, they used to train hostage negotiators for um, uh, the, the, I don't know if it was Scotland Yard or the, the, the Met or whatever. And, and they, I remember what, there was one year where one of them went out to um, 
do some training with the FBI in Virginia. It makes me think of the kind of Silence of the Lambs <laughs> type thing. And, and and he came back and we said, oh, what did you do? Well, you know, what did you do out there? And, you know, th- he said it was pretty much, you know, um, a week and a half of active listening. Wow. That's all we were doing, spending mm. the time listening. And it really drummed home that if the number one skill that is used in the most conflictual of um, situations mm. that will stop somebody hurting themselves or others, jumping off a building, doing whatever it is, and and your my role is to listen and encourage, you know, to to, to understand what they have mm. to say. Then I thought surely we need to practice that, you know, more in our day to day lives. Mm. So, so yeah, so so listening is is well as as it is for you, you know, massive massive skill. Hello, a quick break to tell you about a brand founded on what I think is a brilliant idea. It's called Whirly and it's a children's toy box subscription service. For a fixed monthly cost, you get access to what is basically a humongous toy box of toys. I'm talking really great brands too. There's Melissa and Doug, Plan, Wobbleboard, Strider Bikes, Oliver Jeffers books to name but a few. You pick your selection of toys, Whirly delivers them, and then your kids play with them to their heart's content. And trust me, they've made a selection of stuff which is really robust and can't be broken, even by the most feisty kids. Then when they're done with them, you can send them back and Whirly will exchange them for another selection of things and so on and so on. So you've got a constantly changing selection of toys in your house. How clever is that? It's really easy. It gives you way more for your money. It reduces the dreaded living room clutter. And of course, it's environmentally friendly too and it feels particularly pertinent at this time of year. According to research conducted by Whirly, 23% of Christmas toys are neglected within one month, which translates to a whopping 32 million toys in the UK fated for landfills. And before they end up in landfills, they're actually cluttering our homes. In my house, some things are even dismissed as early as Boxing Day. So, given all that, Whirly makes a really, really smart solution. It's a chance for kids to play with a huge range of toys and for us not to have to worry about which bits do and don't capture their imagination because if they don't like them, they can just go back. If all that sounds good to you, then how about giving Whirly a go? I've actually got a code for you, which is Clemmy30, which will give you 30% off a Whirly subscription or on Whirly gift cards if you wanted to buy some for someone else. And you'll also find me chatting to Whirly founder, Nigel Fan on IGTV. We chat about how he came up with the business idea, how it came to market, and also a general, more sustainable approach to toys at Christmas, but also toys in general. So go check that out. I'm thinking as you're talking, but listening actively, that one of my best... (laughs) I've had gosh, like panic. as an interviewer you do have to kind of both be really focused but also thinking where am I going with this because um, otherwise you sit there and you're like I'm really drawn into what you're saying and now it's going to yeah, be something. I don't know what to say yeah but I had one of my I had a very an amazing therapist for a while and she she used to always just her, her one piece of language that stayed with me was say more so you'd, you'd talk and then you'd think you'd That's stop nice. and she'd go say more and then and then you go again and I use that so often because it's so unloaded and often that follow-up bit that people do is the bit and 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 often yeah people just want to unpick their own thoughts don't they yeah 
Yes, yes. I really like that. I did a course recently. It was based on the work of uh, Nancy Klein and her book, Time to Think. Mm -hmm. And it talks about um, creating uh, spaces for people to think. I believe that Nancy was a, a Quaker and um and her her philosophy was the quality of our decisions is based on the quality of our thinking mm. so creating spaces for people to think in meetings and as i understand i'm not i don't know anything about the quaker um practice but as i understand at the beginning of a, a quaker meeting um what would often happen is if a question is asked um and i think is it the finnish culture they're similar but you would ask a question and then you would literally leave that space for people to think and people really want to think deeply and, and, you know, mm. um, comprehensively about the question. Whereas for most of us, we think that it's essential to respond Quickly. immediately with something, you know, superficial mm. and surface level. Mm. But as you said, Clemmy, if you give someone the space and you say, yeah, um, and what else do you think and feel? Mm. What more? You, you, you unpeel the onion, mm. don't you? And you get to layers. And if you have the patience to hold it and you do that with mm. ease, that the discovery is just phenomenal. You 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 reveal things that you actually didn't even realise that you thought or felt. So so yes, hold, um, so we're not saying to provide a therapy session for every conversation that because <laughs> that have. would be exhausting. It would be exhausting, but to know that when you are in a conflictual situation when there is tension and stress, mm. um, number one, you probably don't listen very well anyway. Mm. Number two, when you're lis- when you're talking, you're not learning. But when you're listening, you're learning. Mm. So you need to find out what's happening for you. What don't I know about you in this situation? You're shouting at me. You're really angry or you're frustrated. What don't I know? And what can I learn to help me engage with you more effectively? It's so true. And uh, yeah, I mean, a couple of things, as you say, that quick, this quick reaction again, which is absolutely central to internet culture jumping on jumping on jumping on jumping on and no one is anyone stopping and thinking here and there's a a buddhist expression which is um even cloudy water will clear once it's left to settle you know so often we just need to come back pause and and actually within conflict it's quite interesting because i think there's a, a something i read which is any conflict you have leave it 24 hours but say something within 48 I think is the rule that I heard so I think there is that that old thing that all our grandparents said which is sleep on it is so true because things are can be hot-headed but also leaving things to fester is is equally dangerous so yeah sitting with something but then coming back to it because it's not fair also to go to someone oh you know three weeks ago you did this and come in with a with pulling them up on it I mean you can but you know what I mean it's more than likely with that time you've brought all these layers onto it and you're no longer conflicted about the thing you're conflicted about yeah it's well you're lucky if it's three weeks I mean I I use you know I've worked a lot in organizations and I've helped them with kind of you know the the annual appraisal or and working with managers on how to conduct that and I've always said when you are meeting with people to talk about their performance nothing should be new right if something happens in the moment deal with it Mm. because otherwise it's like six months later you did this and you did that that's no use to anyone right no use to anyone so I I generally think that um that people are uh, we are becoming more familiar with trying to engage and and express ourselves 
about challenges that we feel. And sometimes we get it wrong. You know, people will be, you know, may, may people might say, well, I'm just being honest, you know, or I'm being upfront. And, you know, you want to be honest with sensitivity as well and empathy. But um, but I think, yeah, you know, I, I think that we are moving more towards trying to be more expressive about the challenges that we face. But I do think the whole idea of listening is a piece that, that is missing mm. because most of us were never taught how to listen, right? We just don't, we, we weren't taught how to do it. And there was some research um, done, I think it was at the University of Minnesota, Minnesota in the States, and they tested children at the age of six and at the age of 14 on how well they listened. Mm. And I, I think I think the experiment was something along the lines of, you had a teacher in the class reading out a story or a passage or something to the six-year-olds, and then they um, they would orchestrate it. So somebody else came in and interrupted the class, then that person left, and then the teacher said, oh, what was I talking about? You know, and then, and I, and when it came to six-year-olds, I think their average recall was about 90% of what the teacher said, you know, they, mm. you know, she had them or he had them, you know, really focused. But when they conducted that same experiment with like 14 year olds, that the, the recall went down to like 28%. Wow. Now, I t- you know, that was 14 year olds. I'm now 47. So I'm way off the chart. So my recall is mm. probably about zero. So luckily, I have learned to listen. And I've taught I've maybe foolishly I don't know I've taught my husband and my daughters how to listen mm. so now they do say all oh, right level one listening honey <laughs> all right level one I'm like oh sorry sorry because <laughs> I do it a lot but it helps when you know right when you know then then you can do but if you don't know then you're, you're just going to be focused on, you know, what, what's important to you rather than giving the other person the space. Yeah. And, and I can't help but think that you'd, if you, if you're not listening properly, you could end up trying to solve the problem that isn't the, the problem. And I definitely know that with children, you know, yeah. I always think when they're putting, when you're putting them to bed and part of it is a distraction technique, but suddenly it all comes out. And, you know, the thing that you thought that they were talking to you about isn't it at all that's how you get yeah. to the the good stuff and that is the same with all yeah. of our relationships and yeah. unfortunately again I'll keep going back to this but we've got with our phones we've got this easy distraction so often it shuts everything else down mm. doesn't it I mean it's it's wonderful it's incredible but it shuts everything down and you know there, there's a um the ancient Chinese script for the word listen mm-hmm. is made up of five different components. And it says, when, so if you look at the word listen, I think it translates as the word ting. And it says, when you are listening, in order to listen, you have to listen with your ears. Yes, of course. But you also listen with your eyes as if you had 10 eyes. So pay attention to what the person is saying. Your eyes are wide and you're really focused mm-hmm. looking at that person. It says that you need to listen as if that person that you're talking to is the only person on on earth Mm. so you're completely present and engaged um that the the symbol for heart is in that that um ting um script because it says you listen with your heart what are you feeling what are you Mm. sensing and picking up on when you are listening to the individual and then the other kind of component of the word of the of the symbol for listen ting is king or queen so listen as if that person were a king or queen you give them complete respect and and they and that's ancient it's saying you know this is what you have to do when you're paying attention to somebody and we don't do any of that really you know we, we just lost so much of it and then we think well what have what's it been replaced by and is it working for mm. us right 
or are there times where we think well we we do need to switch to something else but most people just don't know what to do anymore it's Mm. so habitual Mm. um but yeah just having those having human to human Mm. conversations paying attention and noticing what someone what someone is experiencing whether it's happiness or sadness um, or conflict um is yeah it's the first step recognizing what's in front of you and it's really the greatest gift we can give another person. I mean, this feels a, a yeah. thing away from conflict, but is is our undivided attention, isn't it? Often yes, when kids yeah. are doing all those why questions, it's because really they just want your attention. They want you just yeah. just you 100% on them. And it is true. We are, we are yeah. those moments that were sacred for this exact kind of interaction, meal times, long, long journeys, even in queues for places you know where you might they're all being eroded and again of course I'm not hating on technology but I think we have to be really aware of the bigger picture of what that is if if we're not having conversations if we're not having time to think then we're not really working out how we want to go about in the world and yeah and and maybe then it's no surprise that you do see these conflicts escalate in in digital spaces for all these reasons because there is no listening and there is no breathing space it just goes like wildfire doesn't it yeah 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 it does it's um it's it's in it's interesting because um in fact my daughters are upstairs so I hope they're not listening but I it makes me think about how we fall into patterns of behavior and um when I was in my when I was in my 20s I just I did smoke a little bit I won't say it too loudly in case they listen I was a committed smoker in my 20s (laughs) But then when I got to the age of 30, just before I had my my daughter, I thought, actually, when I started, I never intended to, to be a smoker for 10 mm. years. You know, it was just something I would start. And when I think, when I look back, I think that wasn't my intention. Mm. So now we have these phones and we have, you know, technology and devices, which is wonderful. But my intention is never to allow this to be a blocker to real life. or a contributor to real mm. life or to conflict. So it's about being mindful. What's actually happening in the moment and how am I contributing to it but we do fall we fall into patterns Mm. don't we which are not helpful um so it it goes and it goes back to self-awareness you know what are we doing and what could we be doing differently let's let's just you know take a moment to think about our intention and how we want to live um and how we how we want to have conversations and and you know and yeah so so I think yeah a lot of it is taking a moment to think about how we contribute to a situation Mm. and knowing that we've got a choice to do something differently and actually again going back to kind of workplaces environments it's very easy to fire off an email it's very easy to fire off a diary invite to go back to the reference I had whereas once upon a time if you had to go and talk to someone and say oh can you do 6 30 and I would say oh no I can't actually I've got bath and bedtime it's a non-loaded thing but just getting these generic emails coming through it all yeah, yeah you're taking all this important mindful behavior out of it yeah Yeah. and that's something to think about even more Clemmy because I think you know during during lockdown when for most of us our worlds just became completely virtual Mm. and you know you'd have teams working together and it was fantastic that we were still able to connect virtually um it's it was also you know highly stressful for people because maybe they felt like number one you're always on show you're always on screen you know all day every day which is exhausting Mm. and psychologically draining but number two people felt that they couldn't really express themselves or 
or some people were too expressive yeah. you know there's you know we can read so much into meetings there I, I I know of people or people tell me that you know I run a team meeting and people never put their screens yeah. on right so what does that mean and you know you can attribute different things to that but you know and maybe the person who's got the screen off is thinking I know I can't face it or I don't feel able or whatever, but but it can be perceived as, you know, not being committed or not being interested. So there are lots of different ways in which the way that we work now can contribute to to, to conflict. And and I think as we go back to hybrid, a lot of places are going back to hybrid mm. working more face to face um, versus on screen. It's it's an interesting time to see what mm. it's like um, seeing the adjustments and and you know, I mean, I was in the office. Well, I was in, the, in an office Thursday, Friday, Monday, and Tuesday, and I was exhausted well, yeah, by from Tuesday the human night interaction. Of the commute, yeah, <laughs> I was absolutely exhausted, and the commute as well. well we did right? that. I just don't um, understand it. We did it. We did it for know. you know. Some people did it for their entire careers. I know. I know. I know. <sighs> it's very <laughs> odd, and I see it myself with yeah, going back to social life and. Uh, back to kids parties etc etc and of, of course it's all that we want I'm not saying that but it's interesting do you think that we have changed that we have adapted to yeah non-human interaction I, I think so I, I I think people have I, I think people have I think we have changed and adapted personally in mm. my experience and I remember I was I was I was actually delivering it was a school of life workshop and there was a there was a gentleman on the call this was the beginning of lockdown and he said I can't I think maybe we're talking about resilience or something and he said you know I've spent my life my 20-year my career flying across the world you know mm. working you know working globally um, at, at the sacrifice of building of, of having a family and having friendships and connections and I and I and I am full of regret that this way of living didn't exist wow. previously because I could have had more so I think I believe that people um who have suffered in different mm. ways or you know because of how we were before I think now we're saying well actually I'm not going to put up with I'm not going to experience the conflicts that mm. I used to experience I'm not going to um go in all the time or forfeit dropping my child mm. off to school to be in the meeting for nine o'clock or I'm not going to not attend the, the play at mm. five o'clock instead I'll, I will dial in and work from home so I think there will be a shift in in I, I hope that there will be a shift in in people's kind of willingness to be assertive and to focus more on their own individual needs you know I've seen you know I'm, when I had my daughters um I wasn't allowed to you know to to if I worked from home I wasn't allowed to have them yeah. at home with me you know I had to just put them in daycare and yet on zoom I've seen women you know literally mm. breastfeeding their child as they're learning and as you know as they're on a workshop and I think I, I think we've become more human and the you know and wanting to um address our own needs which means that we do have to be more prepared to engage in conflict and to say no or to think about what works for us and what doesn't work for us um so for instance i did four days in a row i'm now thinking i'm not going to do four Never. days in a row in the office again i'm going to say that doesn't really mm -hmm. work for me um you know so so that, that i can do this and i can't do that um yeah I, I i hope so i hope that people do pay more attention to their own Need. Um, you know psychological and physical needs yeah but it's difficult because those the conflict I imagine are more than likely going to appear in digital spaces now I can't see many people having face-to-face -face 
conversations about you know their working pattern or a tricky project at work which is difficult because it's a very different skill you know that you know look, we're talking and I do feel completely connected with you but yeah, yeah. yeah it, I also remember when I used to do my podcast in a studio and there is something very very specific about two people in a room you know the, the physical being of each other and and it's difficult I don't know whether you're I'm lamenting something that that will not come back in that way or whether this is a positive step forward who, who knows really yeah, I I think that there I mean there is certainly more of a need for people to be able to have to express themselves about challenges virtually because it that it is easy I mean you could do it over the water cooler yeah. or you could do it you know it can be just very yeah. relatively relaxed while you're having a, a coffee or whatever so it it can be a little mm. bit of a kind of warmer intro into it but now if somebody has upset you then you have to say can we have can we have a chat mm. about this or you have to set up that meeting or call them on Teams. So it's very deliberate and it can feel or you have to be more courageous to begin that. And and often people find that it's easier not to, um, which is why which is why I'm, I'm really delighted in the work that I do, that what I teach is, I suppose, elements of self-awareness. How do you behave in a conflict situation? What are you likely to do? Giving them the skills and a framework. So what are the stages of having a difficult conversations? What are the different ways in which you can express yourself so that you walk away feeling that you've been able to, you know, to be authentic and to be honest without, um, you know, kind of overwhelming or doing it in a way that doesn't feel right for you? And there are lots of different ways of doing that. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting. We are in such a yeah, because as you say, you've now we've now seen inside one another's homes. You've seen the people's kids, but for some people, if depending on where you are at your career or how long you've worked, where you work, you might never have met your colleagues in real life. So it's this it's this. In some ways, we've been very intimate, but in some in other ways, further away from one another. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 in, it's funny that you say that. Well, I was I was working on a project during uh, lockdown, and I hired a team, and um, and so we'd been working together maybe for six months, and and height came into it for some reason. And there was one woman said, "Oh, you know, when you see me, actually, you know, you're going to realise I'm really tall. I'm like over six foot." I thought, "Oh, wow, I would no. never have known that." And then I had that that the guy who was the head of service. He said, "Oh, I'm I'm a real shorty. I'm really really I'm a really small man." And I thought, "Oh, okay, that's interesting." so even kind of adjusting to how we are with each other physically yeah. you're right it's it's just something yeah else. and interesting if those two <laughs> people have been in a with. conflict environment in real life in an office their physicality m- might impact it but it's very different yeah it's yeah. so interesting yeah I'm, I'm looking at the time being aware I'm trying to think if if there was yeah. one takeaway that I mean this is hard because this is like your whole expertise but one takeaway for people listening in the realm of conflict what would it be well well I, I suppose one of the models that that I teach I teach this on the cedar course it's about managing emotions because it's often about you know it's emotionally led isn't it and we teach um, something called the three R's for managing emotions so when you are feeling emotional or the other person is first of all stop to recognize what's happening if you if something if there is a a trigger you will feel it so make note of what's happening for you you can't control Mm -hmm. that maybe you're you're you know you start to sweat or your heart will start to be so recognize what's happening for you or recognize what's happening for the other person just take a moment and and then the second R is to reflect on that or to respect it. Mm. So if something is happening for you, just take a moment to think, 
what's going on here or why is this happening for me or why is that happening for the other person and acknowledge it um often we might you know we might ignore it but you know recognize it reflect on it and then choose and be deliberate to how you respond so as you've said your the responses can vary it might be to respond in the moment it might be i mm-hmm. need time for this i need to take myself away i need to you know re- reflect on it and come back tomorrow most certainly or it might be i need to be curious and understand you know what on earth is going on for this person how can i try to understand what's happening mm. for them but be kind of slow down you know slow down i suppose that's what it is you feel something you get triggered or you see that you've triggered somebody else take a moment to kind of recognize what's happening in the moment reflect on why might this be happening what's the best guess you may never know but just give mm. yourself that space and then to, and then say what do I do about this what are the options available mm. to me as opposed to that knee-jerk reaction or, or or not doing anything at all which doesn't help anybody and it's actually as you're talking I'm thinking the conflict that I hate that leaves you feeling wobbly is is when everything has been is raw and emotional and in, not considered and you feel exposed Whereas, yeah, it's some real simple actions of, is this a good time for you? Or, or is it a good me time? saying, you know what? I had a really bad night's sleep last night. I'm, ha- I'm happy for talking about this, but I might not be my most rational. Yeah. Or what on earth is happening for them? Because I really wasn't expecting no. this, right? I've just come here to do this and they've just kind of gone from zero to 10. So what is happening for them? How can I be curious about what, what they're experiencing, which has led mm. to this? So, which is not easy to do in the moment when they've really upset you, but just taking, slowing things down so that you're more mm. level-headed um, and you can participate more fully in, you know, in trying to move forwards through And it. this is, again, anecdotal, but I really love it when someone says, I've been thinking about that conversation we had, not conflict or not conflict, and I've reflected this and, you know, whether that's changed or whether it's different. I, that, yeah, I, I love that when people do that because yeah the end is not the end often and if it is still taking over your head or yeah or saying yeah I've been reflecting about this would you mind if I added this into it like yes I think that's such a grown-up way of going about things yeah 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 that curiosity and being open-minded to want to know more that's an invitation for active Mm. listening as well isn't it I want to understand what's happening for you you know and uh, Stephen Covey in his book his one of his habits is seek first to understand and then to be Mm. understood right because you know what's happening for you but in the first instance what's Mm. going on for you that I don't know about because once I can understand that then and I can kind of reflect that back to you then you're more likely to want to hear what's happening for me it's really good i really want to my life goal now is to be more like you and be able to uh pull these it's a real it's a really amazing skill to pull these references i kind of remember them but in some kind of blurry fashion it's really impressive no it's only well it's only the things that i really like my a lot of stuff just falls out of my brain like a sieve but yeah some stuff i I love it when you read something like yes they've articulated this thing that i've been trying to understand for myself they've done it so two more questions before i end where can people find you and is there anything that you're working on that you want to shout about 
Uh, where can people find me? That's an interesting one. I'm on LinkedIn. Great. I do have a website, which I'm a little bit ashamed <laughs> about. It's just so basic. It's unbelievable. But I'm there. So my contact details are there. I, I work for I work for the School of Life. So I deliver workshops for them, which I absolutely love. And I do a lot of work with um, with CEDA, the Centre for Effective Dispute Resolution. So that's where a lot of my mediation practice comes in, where I kind of help people um, either before going to court or you know prior yeah prior to litigation or instead of litigation helping them to find a way forwards and resolve conflicts with with other individuals or with organizations so yeah it must be um, fascinating work you're like getting a that when you're all your jewelry's tangled and then you finally get to fit people to or does it some does it sometimes yeah. go the opposite way to what you think the things that look straightforward sometimes muddle themselves um well, it never looks straightforward because when I when I receive the papers, people are always completely oppositional. Yeah. You know, one person says, um, you know, black. The other says white. One person says two hundred and fifty thousand. The other says yeah. nothing. So they're always completely polarized. That is the starting point. The question is, what are they willing to do in order to move on from this so that they don't have to think about the conflict mm. anymore? Because mm. it's draining being embroiled mm. in conflict. So what are they willing to do? And mediation, which is a pro the process that I use, it requires flexibility, but it also requires the willingness to hear and understand the other person and to mm. be open about what's happening for you. So it kind of pulls together all of the different things that we've spoken about today. And, and my role is just a neutral facilitator, helping people to navigate through the conflict towards resolution. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you're a very necessary role and try and get people to strip the emotion out of stuff, which must be nearly impossible. Yeah. Yeah. And my last question, yeah. Yeah. if you could have an honest conversation with one person, who would it be and what would you say? Gosh, that's a really good question. How long do I have to think about this, Clemmy? I'm a reflector. Yeah, sorry, I'm not really. Don't want to... If I could have an honest, if I could have an honest conversation with one person, it can be dead or alive. It can be it can be as fictional or non-fictional as you like. It can be. I'm not going to prompt you too much, otherwise I'm not. I've given you the answer. You're a Libra, you want to weigh everything up. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have, yeah, of course I do. You know, I think I, I am generally a very, you know, this is my character. I'm a very forgiving person, you know, sadly. And, you know, I'm very empathetic. So I will always, as and being a Libra, I always look at both sides. So even if someone has hurt yes. me or upset me, I'm I always I'm always able to take the position of well what's yeah. happening for mm. them or what has led them not that I, I don't accept it and I'm not a punch bag but I think I can I can let it go I can forgive because forgiveness is more about me rather than it is for them mm. so even people you know having an honest conversation I almost don't there are some conversations I haven't had to have because I know to enough it... sounds a bit to let it go or, or to, to to believe I understand what they're going to say does this sound a bit no. arrogant I, under, I think I know what they're going to say and um and it's okay I have never um, clocked that, makes sense. that forgiveness is for yourself not for the other person it's for me that's for me really <laughs> powerful though isn't it because yeah 
Yeah. So you, well, that, that is the most Libra answer. You've got no one you think you want to have an honest conversation with. Uh, this is why you're a mediator no. rather than someone who goes headfirst into conflict. It all makes sense. This is very revealing. Yeah. Fair oh, enough. So we've gone for a smiley yeah. face as in just nothing. Perfect. That is a very powerful answer in itself. So we'll take it. Thank you so much. What a fascinating conversation. Oh, thanks, Clemming. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for your questions. Oh, thanks. Great question. I, yeah. I've got a lot of Libra. In, I'm not a Libra. I'm Pisces, but I've got an awful lot of Libra in my chart. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, God, it's really fascinating. And, but also, I come from a family. I've got two, my dad and my brother are both lawyers um, or barristers. So I'm okay. really interested in the idea of this kind of, and I guess, therefore, I'm from a household where there is a lot of, um, yeah, com- yeah, going back and forth on ideas. But, yeah, it's definitely something that we all could do with working on more. I, th- I think actually yeah. the idea of managing yeah. conflict is is a really fundamentally important thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that you spoke about your family background because so my background was in mm-hmm. psych- I studied psychology, and uh, but I spent uh, fourteen years of my career working oh, with lawyers, <laughs> and so it was just you know it was very interesting because they're very different in their approach, right? The way they see things and where they get their energy from, and um, and it was only when I was able I had to spend a lot of time talking to them about the individual differences and kind of you know behavioural preferences and communication preferences that really helped you know to raise awareness of the difference because there was a lot of conflict um but but once you understand and once you're able to kind of step into it it it, it gets easier but at first it was like wow Unreal. You know, these people thinking of very- <laughs> because they're unbelievably they're adept different. at what they do but it, it you know it, this is extreme language but there's a killer instinct if you're if you're in that place which is to find the way into something at, at all costs really because that's what they're paid to do but it yeah and that yeah and yeah. it's fun as well it's, it's fun it's enjoyable it's and it's it's energizing for for you know people yeah no it's amazing way. yes and it's not energizing yeah, for others it's not energizing if you're a teenage daughter being told off <laughs> and it's just like whatever i'm gonna say next you've already got an you've already know that i'm gonna say it and you've got an answer to it so basically it's the sooner i can work out that i'm wrong <laughs> the better uh, funny very funny yeah. Oh, well, that was fascinating. As I made very clear in the interview, I definitely want to be someone who can pluck all these quotes from everywhere. I think it's a great skill. Makes me want to be more academic, but that isn't relevant. What is relevant is is unpicking conflict and and knowing how important it is, but also being mindful about how we go into it. Taking time out, thinking about the other person, active listening. That is something I'm really going to try and do more of because wading in with your own thoughts or not even any thoughts, maybe just being preoccupied by your phone or what's for dinner, really is doing that person a disservice and in turn doing ourselves a disservice because we all want to be listened to. And yeah, learning to challenge people in a way that works for both of you feels like it could have huge positive impacts all around so thank you so much tracy for being a guest and thank you guys for listening to me as ever i would always value your feedback you can get in touch with me on butwhy at clemmytelford.com 
or on Instagram or whatever platform you like. And please do join me next week. I am now off to go and find a birthday present for a nine-year-old. We are back full swing in kids' birthday parties and I'd forgotten about this particular panic. I always thought that I'd be that kind of mum where you have a drawer of presents ready to go. I'm yet to achieve that, but maybe I've, I've tapped on to two new goals today. More academic reading, more pre-purchasing of kids' presents. Watch this space, have a good day and catch up with you next week. Bye!